0: Happy New Year to you all. It's good to be back with you and thank you for the opportunity again of opening the Scriptures. Really appreciate the invitation, Seeing you had to listen to me so much for three years. I really appreciate the invitation to keep on coming back. During this year, God willing, when I'm with you, I hope to look at the letter which Paul wrote to the church at Colossae called Colossians in our New Testament. And it's one of the most interesting books in the New Testament because Paul writes it to a group of Christians that he had never met. Um, For example, when he wrote Ephesians, he was writing to a church where he spent more than two years and where he talked to them every Sabbath. So to write a letter to people that you had never met must have presented a considerable channel, a challenge to the Apostle. Uh, I want to read with you the first 14 verses though we won't cover them all this morning and uh, just keep it in mind that he's writing to people that he's never met and think about things like the warmth he shows and the way he approaches this group of people as I say as far as we know he never met them. So from my first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truths. You learn it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, And verses 10 through 14 in the original, I understand, has got no punctuation at all. It's as though the Apostle Paul was just so overcome with this opportunity of writing to these Christians that he had never met, that he couldn't stop for breath. And he just continues to add one phrase after another as he commits himself in prayer to this particular group. Colossae was a a hill town in what is now modern-day Turkey, but in the days of the Apostle was known as Asia Minor. It was interlaced, that whole area, with important roads that ran from east to west, that ran from Rome to the various areas on the extreme edge of the empire to the borders of Persia. So it was a very cosmopolitan area, Uh, The Christians who formed the churches in those areas came from all sorts of backgrounds. And if you read Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians and Galatians, you'll discover that Paul is addressing all sorts of people when he introduces us to various names within those church fellowships. And it brought to mind immediately the fact that the reason you and I are, are here this morning is because God has moved in our hearts in mysterious ways and brought us together from all sorts of backgrounds so we might form the church. And in spite of what Ray said earlier, it's definitely not perfect. It's perfect before God because God sees us in the person of his son. But very often within the church there are all sorts of tensions. And I'm using the word church in the sense of the church that is lived previously on earth, which is living now, and those who are yet to become Christians before the Lord Jesus returns. So the church is comprised of imperfect people. And we gather together with the recognition of that. So when Paul's writing to these folk, he doesn't write to them as perfect Christians. He writes to them as Christians who are in need of prayer. He writes to them to bring emphasis into their life that they need to take on board. And you'll notice, and Hazel's going to help us here, you'll notice from the first verse that he outlines his authority as an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle was someone who had seen Christ in the flesh. Paul refers to himself as being one born out of due time, because you may remember that the Lord Jesus met him first on the road to Damascus whenever the Apostle Paul was going to persecute the church and put Christians to death. And Jesus revealed himself very personally to the Apostle in such a way that Paul was actually blinded for a number of days because of the revelation of Christ's glory to him. So he's, uh, I was going to say and use this phrase perhaps unwisely, he is an unnatural Apostle. All the others who are named Apostles in the New Testament were those who could bear witness to Jesus as they knew him in his earthly life. This apostle was one who was given this particular brief of working amongst the Gentile churches as Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. So he's an apostle, he's a man with authority, and you'll notice that this is by the will of God. (coughs) Nothing to do with the apostle Paul, he didn't decide he was going to be an apostle, The word just means a sent one, one who is sent directly from God, and he is sent by the will of God. This is something which God has decided and chosen. And he writes to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And there's almost a creed in those words. Paul's linking this particular group of Christians with all the others that he has met, calls them brothers and sisters, but he also emphasizes the fact that God becomes our Father as we are brought to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're in Christ today, it doesn't matter what background we come from, if we know the Lord Jesus, then we're part of the family of God and God is our Father. That's a huge thing, isn't it? Sometimes we feel very alone. Sometimes we feel isolated. Sometimes things happen in our life which isolate us. But God remains our Father. And it's interesting again and again that Paul uses that appellation when he's writing to these various churches. I'm being disturbed by this which keeps appearing under my hand, so I'm going to get rid of him because he's annoying me. I'm surprised you're bringing toys onto the platform, Ray. I'll have a chat with you afterwards about that. So here's these brothers and sisters, and they've actually become a church through the ministry of this man, Epaphras, who's mentioned a bit further down this chapter, and he was the one who first brought this message of the gospel to these lovely folk. We need God's grace and we need his peace, don't we? We need peace in our hearts and we need grace in our dealings with one another within the church. It's so easy to get on a high horse and think that what we are saying is more important than what anybody else says. That's just nonsense. The grace of God is that which brings us to Christ and being brought to Christ, we need to express that grace to one another and to live in peace and to live in the joy of his peace as we share in our faith. Now I want to look particularly this morning at verses 3 through to 11. If I get there, if I don't I'm going to pick up verse 11 next week. But I want us to concentrate for a minute or two on this whole question of prayer and where prayer begins and how it's to be expressed Not that this is a blueprint, but I think it's a hugely helpful passage. Because if you, like me, you you, you find prayer really difficult. I find it the most difficult thing in my Christian life. I'd much rather preach than pray. I was encouraged when um, Billy Graham was interviewed on his 90th birthday. And the interviewer said to him, What would you wish you had done more of? He said, I wish I had done more praying and less preaching. So we're not alone if we find prayer difficult today. But we begin with something we should all be able to do readily. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God. Because none of us are part of this family because of ourselves. God saves us in spite of ourselves. God brings us into his family because he chooses us. And he calls us by his spirit and we come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And in that faith, we should thank God every day. Sometimes we don't thank the Lord enough for health and strength, for clothing, for a place to live, if that's the case here this morning. All the, the things that I'm I going to say are ordinary are so special the fact that for most of us our heads work a wee bit most of us are able to, to function within our humanity because of the way God is our creator sustains us, and we thank God for that thank God you'll notice when we pray for you why, why would you thank God when you pray for people you don't know well, Paul says this, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Amazing, isn't it? Perhaps you could bring those verses up, Hazel, and it will be really helpful. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope. Now, you'll notice there are three Particular nouns that are used in that phrase. Don't you? Yeah? You remember all the grammar you did whenever you were young enough to be at school? Faith, love and hope. Can you remember one very famous chapter that the Apostle wrote, which is often quoted in church? First Corinthians 13, thank you. Paul writes a corrective letter to the church at Corinth, a hugely corrective letter because it was a mess. And he reminds them that there are three things that remain constant in our Christian experience. We have faith in Christ. We love one another because of our faith in Christ. And we have this great hope. He's not talking about, I'm hoping for something, such, such a thing to happen. He's talking about the hope that you and I are going to heaven. And It always amazes me how unpleased Christians look at that prospect. You know, you're actually going to go to glory to be with Christ. And that's the hope that sustains our faith and our love. And you notice that Paul expresses that way. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message, or perhaps better, in the truth of the gospel. It's it's an amazing thing that Paul writes this this letter to this church that he's never met in Colossae. And they so treasured this letter that you and I can read it in our own language today. It was a one-off the only time he wrote to them, and they so treasured it that it wasn't destroyed, it wasn't wasted, it wasn't rolled up in a ball and thrown away, but the truth of it was such that it sustained the Christians in Colossae during the whole of their Christian experience and the further generations that came to Christ through the ministry of this particular church. Truth is hard to come by, isn't it? What's the, the n-word of our particular generation at this point? What did Mr. Trump say clearly the other day when he was embarrassed about something? Fake news. Convenient cul-de-sac to jump into, isn't it? But nevertheless, as my dad used to say, to anyway, me, don't believe everything you read in the newspaper. And sometimes we do. The politician who tried the Lord Jesus for his life asked this very pertinent question What is truth? What is it? Does it have a, a centrality? Does it have an essence? Is it something which we can actually come into contact with and trust because it's true? You see, the beautiful thing about the Christian church is it constantly demonstrates men and women who have believed in the truth of the gospel. This good news about the Lord Jesus dying for our sin upon a cross and being raised on the third day for our justification. And this has proved its truth for more than 2,000 years. You understand what the apostle is saying here? Because you've been touched by the truth of the gospel, you are Christians. And all the successive generations that followed after this initial group of Christians in Colossae came to Christ because of the truth of the gospel. It was something they could absolutely trust in. And you and I in 20th century or 21st century Britain came to faith because of the truth of the gospel. Never be ashamed of it. When Paul's writing to the the Roman church in the first chapter of that great letter, he says in verse verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation of everyone who believes. This is is as true today as it was then. And sometimes as Christians we get a bit wishy-washy. Well, maybe you don't, but I can. And sometimes we get wishy-washy about this which is truth. This which is demonstrated it's true by the changes it produces men and women through the power of the Spirit. And it's a tremendous thing to recognize that our lives are built here. You know, It's not some mythology. It's not some notion that some people had at one time in history. This is the truth of the Gospel. And it comes... It's interesting the secondary translation we have uh, uh, on the screen, which is not actually the full translation of what the scripture actually says in the Greek. It says this, The truth of the gospel that has come to you. This message has come to you. Not that you have already heard, but that the message has come to you. You understand? It it has to come in its unadulterated form. It's not what we think we hear that's important it's what the truth of the gospel states that's important. And, you know, whenever you and I are faced with this, we recognize that it has come to us. It hasn't been changed. It hasn't been altered. But the reason we are in Christ today is because this message has come to us in all its absoluteness. And then the next phrase, thank you, Hazel. The next phrase is this. This in the same way the gospel is bearing truth is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Since we were last together on the last Sunday of the New Year, in the past four weeks about four million people. Have come to faith in the Lord Jesus. (laughs) Amen. About 4 million people have come to faith in the Lord Jesus worldwide in the last four weeks. It's probably slightly more than that because the book which I'm quoting from, which is Operation World, clarifies and redates itself all the time, and I'm quoting from 2010, the copy that I have. So a million people have heard the truth of the gospel because the gospel has come to them and they understood God's grace. They understood what God had done in Christ. They had learned it, had heard it from Epaphras, as Paul calls them here, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ. On our behalf. And Paul's just overjoyed, not by the fact that he's writing this letter to them, but the fact that as Epaphras brought the gospel to this group of people, the gospel worked in their lives. You know, it wasn't necessary for an apostle to preach it, it was just necessary for a genuine Christian to tell the truth of the story. And the Lord used the truth to bring men and women to Himself. That I believe is why Jesus says in John chapter fourteen and verse sixteen at verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to believe anybody, believe Christ because he is the truth. And you say to yourself, Well, I've got other thoughts. You know, I think Muhammad says a lot of truth. Well, he might have said a lot of truth, but he wasn't the truth. You don't convert people to faith by using a sword which is what he did in Arabia as Islam began to spread. If I have to convince people with a sword that what I'm saying is the truth, there's something wrong with the truth. That's self-evident, is it not? Now I'm not being anti-Islamist here, I'm just stating a fact. You see, the significance of the impact of the truth of the gospel is it can be preached across the word to people of every background and every generation. It doesn't matter where they come from or what their previous belief system was. When they hear the truth, it has the effect of conversion, making a change. And so he says here, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and he told us of your love in the spirit and then Paul moves into the core of this great chapter one of the most significant chapters in the whole of the new testament because it contains so much theology Paul's talking about God in relation to this people and he's talking authoritatively uh, to them because of his apostleship so for this reason since the day we heard about you we have not stopped praying for you I have some folk whom I met with Jill in the early 70s. And some of them pledged that they would pray for us every day. And frequently we received cards and letters from folk who said, so glad to have met you in the early 70s. We continue to pray for you every day. That's just an amazing dedication. They probably recognized when they met Jill and me that we both need a lot of prayer. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's such a great encouragement. And here's Paul saying, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, what would you pray? What do you think Paul is praying for these folk that he's never met? Well, just look at this list which he brings. I wonder, uh, We pray for you and we ask God, first of all, To fill you with the knowledge of his will. The most important thing for a Christian or a group of Christians who meet together in a church fellowship is to know the will of God. And so often we neglect this. And Paul says, look, this is the focus of my praying, that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will which comes through all spiritual, as he, as he says here, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because the things of God and the ways of God are not gained because we happen to be intelligent about God. That's, that's got nothing to do with it. The only way I can know the will of God is if God gives me spiritual understanding. So when I read the Bible, I understand some spiritual imprint for it, from it. If I look at my life circumstances, I begin to recognize that God has got purpose for me because of spiritual understanding. God works through the Spirit in the mind. It's not just the Spirit. Please don't misunderstand Paul here. It's spiritual understanding. Yeah? And we understand with our minds the spirit doesn't work in a vacuum. My dear grandfather, I've told you about him before, having different bits of scripture on a shaving mirror. And they'll be there for a week and then they'll disappear. And then another bit that he had handwritten would appear on a shaving mirror. And I said to him when I was a youngster, I said, Granddad, why do you do that? And he looked at me for a minute or two and he said, The spirit works through the word and the word, the word works in the mind. Yeah? The Spirit works through the Word, and the Word works in the mind. And then he said, if you haven't got the Word in the mind, how do you think the Spirit's going to work? Yeah? Spiritual wisdom and understanding, he he works like that. And why do you pray that? Why do you pray that you might know the will of God in your life, Paul? We're getting near the end. Verse 10, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. So, as we pray for the understanding of the will of God in one another's lives, it's so that we may live a life worthy of him. And you can see the interconnection, can't you? If I know the will of God and he's working in my mind and my understanding by his spirit then my life will begin to reflect that. And my life will demonstrate a life which is worthy of the Lord and will please him in every way. If I said to you, as I'm about to, do you want to please the Lord? Exactly. That's what our lives are about want to please the Lord. Think about how much we should be praying for each other. You know that, that each of us may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way because we'll bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Again, could I just emphasize one thing? When he's talking here about knowing God and if you've got a book on yourselves by Jim Packer, J.I. Packer and you haven't read it recently and it has the title Knowing God Get it down and have another look at it. Because this is about knowing God in experience. We grow in the knowledge of God as we recognize his hand in our life and we say, "That's, that's just amazing. And when you're praying for one another and you're lifting things up before the Lord and you're growing in spiritual wisdom and understanding, then we begin to recognize the finger of God in our lives. And we grow in the awareness of him. We grow in the knowledge of him. And he keeps on strengthening us. This present continuous tense, and I close with this this morning. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Every now and again you meet a Christian who's curiously refreshing. You know, sometimes you meet a Christian And they really drive you nuts because they've all got problems. But every now and again you meet somebody and they're just walking close with the Lord and you spend ten minutes with them. And you think, that was just great. I really enjoyed that. Joe Soup is really spending time with the Lord. Because there is this sense of um, them being strengthened. You'll recognise immediately that Paul's emphasising to these Christians he's never met. There's no such things, ladies and gentlemen, as strong Christians. Mm -hmm. Paul recognized, and he says it elsewhere in one of these letters, he said, when I am weak, then am I strong because your strength, he says to the Lord, your strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm -hmm. He keeps on strengthening us because we're so fragile, we're so weak. And you know how often we get our wires crossed and we we get frustrated and and things ain't working too good and we're semi-broken hearted and then somehow or other the Lord comes alongside and he just strengthens us day by day so you get up in the morning and you make yourself available to him and he strengthens us in the difficulties of each day so that we might have Great endurance and patience. Now, please don't talk to Jill afterwards because she'll tell you I'm very impatient. And it's not true. (laughs) I am at times impatient. What do you think this patience and endurance is about? It seems in the context to the business of living together as Christians. To being patient with one another, and to have great endurance with one another because it 's hard isn 't it we we 've all got rough edges and all sorts of things go on in our lives, and sometimes we're engaged in other thoughts and so forth and so on. Sometimes people think we ignore them, sometimes you going give somebody a hug the right way sometimes you you, you are casual and just developing our Christian relationships, we need to continually be strengthened with the Lord, and we need to continually pray that each of us will be continually strengthened by the Lord, so we might demonstrate great endurance and patience. It's a it's a, a marvelous picture that the apostle presents us to the, presents here to this church, and you're probably saying this is unattainable, Peter will you make me a promise? I know every now and again I give some of you homework. So this is your homework for all of us. I want us to pray for one another this week. I want us to pray for one another where there may be difficulties or things where just not really been sorted or whatever it is. Just pray. I think it was Thomas Kempis who said, it's very hard to throw stones at someone you're praying for. It's very hard to throw stones at someone you're praying for. Whether those be metaphorical stones or otherwise, you know. So let's make a... a sort of packed with the Lord, that we'll pray for one another along these terms. You know, we'll know the will of God. It will function in his will, so it will please him. And in pleasing him, there may be glory brought to him in this wee church this week. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray together, shall we?